Mamma Mia subscribers, you've been asking and we've been listening. Now you can get all of your exclusive subscriber audio on Apple Podcasts. That includes everything from bonus episodes of your favourite pods to exclusive segments to all of our audio series. To link your Mamma Mia subscription to Apple Podcasts, open the Mamma Mia Out Loud page in your Apple Podcasts app and follow the prompts or head to help.mamamia.com.au. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. From Mamma Mia, welcome to The Spill, your daily pop culture fix. I'm Kiris. And I'm Laura Brodnick. And today it is the interview that everyone is talking about. Buffy creator and former feminist icon, that's Josh Whedon, has finally spoken in defence of his legacy. But to be honest, he kind of fucked it. And now a bunch of A-listers like Gal Gadot are weighing in and we are going to break it all down today. But before we do that, we have the entertainment news headlines of the day. I have news. What's the hot gas? I want more headlines. So you might remember in November of last year, Laura Brodnick, model Bala Hadid posted that series of kind of 10 selfies of herself crying and she posted that to Instagram revealing in her caption that she'd been struggling for the past three years with her mental health. And at the time we spoke about it on The Spill, she was hailed for being really candid and open about her struggles. And this week in a new interview with the Wall Street Journal magazine for their My Monday Morning series, the 25-year-old opened up about the story behind that Nile viral post. So she revealed that she would have these depressive episodes and that her mom, former Real Housewife star Yolanda Hadid, or her doctor, would ask her how she was. And instead of having to respond to the question in text, she would send them a selfie. And she said, it was the easiest thing for me to do at the time because I was never able to explain how I was feeling. I would just be in excruciating and debilitating mental and physical pain. And I didn't know why. She continued, when I posted them, it was to make sure that anybody that was feeling that way knew that it was okay to feel that way. Even though on Instagram, things look so beautiful. At the end of the day, we are all cut from the same cloth. I feel like it was just good for me to be able to speak my truth. And at some point I wasn't able to post nice, pretty pictures anymore. I was over it. Talking about her mental health today, she's revealed that she still has good days and bad days, but that in sharing her story, she found comfort in the many messages that she received from her followers who were going through the same things and that she remembers that each day when she leaves the house. 80s babies, hold on to your panties because in the lead up to the release of the much anticipated Janet Jackson documentary, Janet, a new trailer has been released. So woven in between these archive performances and private footage are interviews with her family, including her mother, Catherine, siblings, and also famous friends, including Missy Elliott, Whoopi Goldberg, Mariah Carey, Paula Abdul, and Samuel L. Jackson, and many more. But it's the comments that Janet herself makes when asked about the impact of the molestation allegations against her brother Michael, her rise to fame and the fallout following the 2004 Nipplegate Super Bowl scandal that are making headlines today. Here's the audio. This is a story about control. My father was very strict. My control. He was in charge of my life, my career. My father said, you're going to sing. I think I have to start being independent. 
closest to in the family. Randy. <laughs> and Mike. Mother, how do you feel talking about Mike? I can't. Did the allegations affect you career-wise? Yeah. Guilty by association. Guess that's what they call it, right? They build you up. And then once you get there, they're so quick to tear you down. Justin and his team have been trying to contact us about you doing the Super Bowl. Okay, so I'm really excited about this documentary. I think for someone who's really famously, fiercely private, it feels like we are going to get a bit of insight here. I mean, her alone addressing those molestation allegations I think is really significant. What did you think, Laura? Yeah, I mean, I don't think she's really spoken on it in depth before, so it'll be interesting to kind of see her take on that. And I think so much of this has come off the back, as we were talking about before, of the whole Britney Spears documentary, which was just such a game-changing kind of moment in pop culture and just like a worldwide conversation. And Janet Jackson became the kind of supporting character, and I don't say that in a bad way, like she became such a big part of that story via association that I think people have really been out for the same kind of justice for her. I don't know if it'll hit the same way as the Britney documentary did in terms of people seeing her in a completely new light, but I feel like there is this extra part of the story that's waiting to be told. Oh, absolutely, because peppered in there was, well, not really peppered, we finished off with that massive bombshell that makes me think I maybe need to start drafting a little apology to my nemesis, that is Justin Timberlake, because the interesting thing about this is the documentary was filmed in 2018, and this was the same year that Justin was preparing to go back to the Super Bowl to do that halftime performance. And what we heard in that snippet was Janet being informed that Justin and his team had, in fact, reached out to her about collaborating with her on the performance. So it looks like behind the scenes there was kind of a make good well before this documentary came out so I think I'm gonna have to eat some of my words no no put those words back down you don't have to eat them because the same way that I've never said that Justin Timberlake is an evil mastermind in all this he's also not a behind the scenes savior like he's squarely in the middle of this whole situation because yes he might have reached out to her about coming and doing the second Super Bowl performance and obviously that hasn't been picked up by the media and it, it might soften the blow towards him a little but it doesn't take away from the fact that during the whole fallout from the original Super Bowl performance he didn't step up or do anything he didn't you know come to her defense when she was barred from award shows and when she lost jobs and when he was interviewed about it like you know he also didn't step up then so I don't think this completely changes his story in any way it just paints him as less of a criminal mastermind behind the scenes which we've always said he was just kind of like a weak man who was the product of this fame and just wanted to be famous at all costs. Okay, got it. Weak man, obsessed with being famous, <laughs> still you a You know that bag. old chestnut, yeah. Yeah, got it, got it. Well, there's no word on where we can catch it here yet in Oz. It's coming out towards the end of the month in the UK and US, but we'll likely have an announcement in the coming weeks, so we'll keep you posted. Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move, and we drop new workouts every single week. 
If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. So for decades, Joss Whedon was one of the most beloved and admired people in pop culture and just overall in the entertainment industry. And he made his mark by creating some truly groundbreaking TV shows that still have huge cult followings to this day. So most namely Buffy the Vampire Slayer, but also Angel, Firefly and Dollhouse before moving on to creating equally beloved movies that went on to just blow box office records such as The Avengers. But then, just a couple of years ago, his legacy started to unravel. So it all kind of started in 2017 when his ex-wife, Kai Cole, and if you're not across the Joss Whedon kind of worship and fandom, Kai was very instrumental in writing the original Buffy movie. She was really well known as the other side of this kind of beloved pop culture duo that they were. She worked on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. She wrote songs for the musical episode. They were kind of seen as this perfect couple. So it was really shocking in 2017 when she wrote this scathing open letter about Joss on The Wrap and she really condemned him and called him a hypocrite preaching feminist ideals and accused him of cheating on her throughout their marriage, including with many actresses from the set of Buffy, which he has confirmed that, yes, he did do that. Then in 2020, actors Ray Fisher and Gal Gadot, who had starred in Justice League, which was directed by Joss, claimed that he had mistreated them. And Ray Fisher actually described his behaviour as gross, abusive, unprofessional and completely unacceptable. He gave some very wide-ranging interviews of exactly what had happened to him on that set and at the time there was a lot of kind of blowback from the industry about what had happened. So now in this new Vulture article, Joss is speaking for the first time and he's been kind of a recluse for the last couple of years since all of these accusations came out. He's been kind of hidden away in his mansion in Santa Monica. This was a man who even during, you know, big writer's strikes or the pandemic was always churning out content and creating things, even if he was just filming it in his own home. He's been completely without a job, very quiet. I think he kind of did this interview because he thought he could explain away these allegations. And I think he and his team very much saw it as this huge redemption arc for him that was going to happen. But as Key said in the intro, he just completely fucked it up. And when you read this long-form interview, it's just a masterclass in how not to apologize. So the article itself is entitled The Undoing of Joss Whedon, the Buffy creator, once an icon of Hollywood feminism, is now an outcast and accused of misogyny. So how did he get there? And it's written by Lila Shapir, so who actually went to Joss's home in Santa Monica and spent a couple of days really talking to him and getting to the nitty-gritty of what he kind of thought about these accusations. And Key, I don't know about you, but I just found this one of the most uncomfortable celebrity interviews I've ever read. Completely eye-opening, but so difficult to read. It was so crazy because what I've been trying to do, right, is this year, like, one of my goals is to just be a bit more neutral, like kind of take it in, like not just jump to my first kind of feelings on something. So there was a quote that she had in the article quite high up and it was from Kurtz, the comic book artist. And he said, when you build these people up so big, they have nowhere to go but down. I don't know why we're surprised when they turn out to be fallible humans who fail. And I was thinking like, oh yeah, you can be a trailblazer in your field, but you can still be a horrible human. Like we've got JK Rowling as an example and kind of trying to separate the person from the artwork, which was 
we've definitely talked about on the spill before. And I kind of had this unexpected compassion towards him, which I kind of hated myself for. Really? A little bit, only yeah. till I got to the quotes because. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's the undoing of him. Right. That's it. Because he was talking about how he really wanted to defend his legacy. And I kind of really build him up in the beginning of this piece, talking about how the fandom and there's university scholars that are kind of dedicated to the craft of the Whedon universe. And in a touch of irony, he says that he's terrified of every word that's gone going to come out of his mouth. And he bloody should have been because the stuff that he said about Gal Gadot and Charisma Carpenter were wild. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he's given this opportunity to kind of, and to set the scene. So the journalist goes into his home and she says that he looks like a broken kind of shell of a man. Early on in the interview, he kind of lets slip as they're kind of setting up to talk that he's been told if you ever get uncomfortable in an interview, you have to think about your answer to go to the bathroom and then proceeds to go so to the bathroom funny. every yes. 10 minutes for the rest <laughs> of it. Because every time she asks him a difficult question, he's like, I've got to go. And then comes back and you're like, okay, he's gone away to compose himself and then just comes out with the worst. I mean, he talked about his childhood, which, I mean, you don't want to go through anyone's pain and say like, oh, it wasn't that traumatic. But saying that his parents didn't really love him and that's why he abused actresses when he was older, I was like, this is just all such a long bow to draw. And talking about protecting his legacy, I mean, I know I've said this on the podcast before, but when you talk about people who worship Joss Whedon, that was me for like the last 20 years of my life. Like in my eyes, this man, he was the epitome of storytelling and characterization. Everything I love about pop culture and entertainment, I learned from him. You know what I mean? Like everything I love about storytelling comes from his work and his words. And that's why for so many people really struggling with this person he is now, but he's trying to explain away what's happening to him and kind of say like, well, I grew up as a nerd and I grew up as someone who was really unloved. And I think it was only in his early 30s when he started running the Buffy the Vampire TV set. He'd never done that before. And all of a sudden, like all these fans and women were throwing themselves at him. This is his words. And all these actresses on set were in love with him and they all wanted to have sex with him. And there's a part in the um, article where people who worked on the Buffy set talk about him like literally having sex with actresses on the floor of their offices while they're in there and like them bumping into the chair while they're trying to work. And he's like, I don't recall that, but potentially it did happen. But he just kind of explains it away by, you know, saying like, well, I was always a nerd and then there's hot women. What's a guy to do? But that kind of stuff, like, while disgusting and awful for his wife is you wouldn't stop watching someone's TV show just because they fucked around their set. I feel like everyone does that. It's more the kind of behind the scenes cruelty that he puts people through. And like you're saying, one of the biggest kind of takeaways from this article has been the quotes that he made about Wonder Woman star Gal Gadot, who obviously she, you know, was Wonder Woman. That movie was a huge success. And then she went on to star in Justice League, which was where they, you know, they brought all the superheroes together. Usually that's a goldmine. This movie, it tanked. And then afterwards, when the Ray Fisher allegations came out, Gal Gadot also came out and said on the record, it was a huge deal for such a big star to say that, that he had threatened her career and said that if she didn't like kind of fall in line and do what he said, he would end her and all this kind of stuff. And he's asked about that in this interview and he said, I don't threaten people. Who does that? And then he wanted to say it was like the worst thing he could have said. English is not her first language and I tend to be annoyingly flowery in my speech. So he's trying to make it look like, oh, I'm just not a good communicator, ha-ha, silly old me. But what he's actually saying is this woman who doesn't speak English properly and can't possibly comprehend what I as this creative genius was saying to her and now she started this whole situation over a misunderstanding. 
And then he takes it a step further and he says, I told her jokingly that if she wanted to get rid of this particular scene, that she would have to tie me to a railroad track and do it over my dead body. And then he said that Gal blew it up into something about her saying that he said he would put her dead body on a railroad track. And it just doesn't track because Gal Gadot seems to really understand English very well. Like if you speak multiple languages, you're a very smart person. And, you know, she does talk shows, she does long form interviews, she shoots big blockbuster movies. You can't do that if you don't have a grasp of the English language, if you're making these blockbuster movies in English. And I love her response because she didn't really kind of want to get into a big back and forth with him. She just emailed the magazine when they asked her about it and said, I understood perfectly. Yeah, I wanted to kind of like scream the audacity for him to even bring that up. It was like the only thing he could really use to kind of sway opinion about her is the fact that English isn't her first language. And I think that when you grow up as a white man who is actually talented, I mean, think about the confidence of a mediocre white man and then think about a talented white man. (laughs) It's like you're never going to be able to unlearn that toxic behavior because there isn't a world that exists where you aren't right. And when I was reading through this and just like, because obviously it's talking about his childhood and being raised and different things like that. It was very clear to me that his actual talent was using feminism to appear way more interesting than he was. He like changed his name at university to bed women and then basically used this as the base of a successful career. Like he's obviously brilliant, but he's also super manipulative. Like he used the fact that his mother was a great feminist activist, that his first girlfriend at university, film scholar Janine Basinger, and then later the actresses that he bedded and then directed. Like it's very clear here that that there's a massive thread of manipulation and coercion to a certain point. Like it's just wild that he – like I wonder if he walked away from this interview and was like, great, legacy's back on track. I think he actually did until it came out. And the thing is too that Hollywood in general is very forgiving of men like him, as is the world. So I feel like if he just hadn't done this interview, he just gone and made another movie. He almost could have sidestepped all this controversy as only a man in his position can. But now that he's come out and doubled down on it all, I feel like that really was the final nail in the coffin for his legacy. And what you're saying about the way he kind of manipulates women came through so well in this article, because you had some actresses such as Gal Gadot and Charisma Carpenter who were very much like, no, I know exactly what he said. This man is evil like Charisma Carpenter. He fired her for being pregnant on Angel. That's a whole saga we've talked about before. And they were very adamant about it. But then there were so many other women interviewed in this piece. And one of them was Rebecca Ann Kirshner, who was a really well-known writer from Buffy, who's quoted as Rebecca X in the article. And she was almost like, well, yeah, he was abusive and he did some pretty awful things to me. But then she met with a journalist and she backtracked and then she talked about some abusive things he did then she messaged days later saying no no no, can I just say that he's actually a great person and I was like we're seeing this now in real time within this article of this woman like she worships him as so many of us did but she can also see his abuse but she can't put them together and that's coming out in the article because she keeps black flipping and so I think in a way it's so good that Gal in particular, because she's such a force in Hollywood and she's in that position now where she can speak up, said this, because I think that has really going to stop him going on and making all these moves in TV shows like he would have done if this Vulture article hadn't come out and has kind of stopped all these other actresses from now facing this. I mean, Charisma Carpenter called it cruelty, and I think when you read the article in full that really comes through. 
Yeah, I am so deeply now alongside you in this whole saga. I find it fascinating and I encourage all of our spillers to go and read this piece in full. We'll link it in the show notes to make it really easy and then hop in the Facebook group and let us know what you think about the piece. Well, thank you so much for listening to The Spill today. While you're listening, remember to follow us so you never miss an episode and then hop over and leave us a review. We'd love to start the year off with some feedback from our spillers, maybe some five stars. This episode of The Spill was produced by Laura Brodnick and Gia Moylan with audio production by Rhiannon Mooney. We'll see you at mamamia.com.au. Bye. Bye. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures.